Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Guy Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolf with us on this day as uh, we go through the holiday season. As we are talking right now, this is actually about a week ahead of when you're going to hear this. Uh, We decided to go ahead and record before the holiday season, before everybody's really busy, and take some time to recap and look back at this 2023 season for the Georgia Bulldogs. Decided to give out some awards uh, we've seen a few dogs uh, get awards uh, during December, and we figured, why don't we uh, give some as well? Um, so we're going to go through this. And again, just remember, as we're talking about different players, different guys, uh, that we're recording this ahead of time. So if we mention somebody and you're like, how did they not mention he's going pro? How did they not mention he's in the portal? Uh, we don't know that as of time of recording. Um, so uh, hopefully, for the most part, this will be up to date and uh, will be still relevant for all you guys as you listen to this, watch this after the fact. We're going to start with a big one, and we are going to start with offensive MVP for the Georgia Bulldogs in 2023. We're all going to just kind of bounce around with this, and I'll start with you, Ben. You get the first uh, dibs on this one. Who do you think was Georgia's offensive MVP in 2023? Yeah, I'm going to go really out on a limb here, sort of like if we go back in time to when we were picking who we think the breakout stars of 2023 are going to be and Kip had the number one overall pick. I'm going to go really branch out here and take Carson Beck as the offensive MVP. I think there are some other directions that you can go for various reasons, but I think when Brock Bowers went down, there was really an onus put placed on Carson Beck to take over the offense, prove that this Georgia offense was as capable without Brock Bowers as it was, you know, with him. Um, I thought Carson did an exceptional job this season. There was a lot of hype about him going into the 2023 season. There were Heisman predictions about him before he had ever started a game. And I think there's always a lot of pressure that comes along with that, especially when you're quarterbacking a team that had won two straight national championships. Obviously, they didn't achieve that ultimate team goal, but I think individually – 
Carson Beck played well enough to win every single football game that Georgia played this year. Obviously, I'm sure that a lot of folks would have preferred a few different things went their way in Atlanta so that they did, in fact, win every game that they played this year. But I thought Carson did a really good job. Obviously, will be, to your point, Jordan, we don't know at this exact moment whether he's coming back for 2024, whether he's going to the NFL. But I think what he did in 2023 really – I was someone who had very high expectations for him, and I still think that he managed to exceed those. Yeah, I thought he played great. He was my choice as well. And Ben hit on the biggest thing for me. You looked at the lineup, especially early in the year, you know, him getting his first few starts. And you didn't have Lab McConkey till the Auburn game. You lose uh, Brock Bowers for nearly a month. Uh, the running back situation, especially to start the year, was a total mess. And he kept playing well. And he kept playing well despite who was or who was not available. And I think he needs to be commended for that. And um, so he's my offensive MVP selection as well. Uh, Kip, any uh, any dissenting opinions? Uh, where where are you going with the offensive MVP? No, I'm I'm, I'm bored with that. With Carson Beck, you just you just look at this season and and remember that very very rarely did he have all of his you know offensive playmakers or offensive linemen you know on the field at the same time. If if he did, they were banged up and. Only one game this season did he have a multi-turnover game, to my knowledge. I think that was the, actually the Vanderbilt game of all games. He had an interception. I think he uh, lost a fumble in that game as well. Um, the fact that, you know, he made history. The, I mean, no player had ever had, you know, 11 straight games, uh, in, uh, I think, in the SEC with 250 yards passing. Um, and that's just how he started his career. Uh, so you kind of look back and, and look at, you know, just the overall body of work, the fact that, you know, right now he's number three in program history for most passing yards in a season in his, his first year as a starter. And you even look at the Alabama game, you know, going out there, didn't have his best game. Uh, his best playmakers were all hurt uh, against an Alabama team that, again, extremely talented. He still completed over 72% of his passes and didn't turn the ball over. So uh, I think you just have to look at, at everything and, and just be really impressed. I mean, the fact that, you know, even though uh, we're, we're talking about his NFL future right now and the potential for him to go into the NFL draft with, with one year of starting uh, kind of tells you that he's proven himself to everyone right now and very little left to prove, but, you know, regardless of what happens with his future, I think you look back in the season and you just have to be impressed with what Carson Beck did. Just the fact that he stayed, you know, with the program, we were all complimenting him on that. And I think now everyone's kind of seen uh, what he's able to do. And now everyone wants him to come back. And, you know, for the Georgia fans, I think that kind of says it all. I think that was pretty straightforward with offensive MVP. Really intrigued to hear what you guys have, who you guys have for defensive MVP. And I'll start with you, Kip. Who would you give the defensive MVP honors for for 2023? Yeah, I mean, this this one's really tough. I think we're, we're starting to get into the area where you could have guys, you know, getting multiple awards here. Um, but, uh, I mean, I got to go with Tyke Smith. Just a guy that just made plays across the board. Um, I, I think it's, you know, when I'm looking at this season and looking at Georgia's defense, you, you usually do not want your DB, to, you know, to be in the team lead for tackles. It's kind of a tough sign. I mean, he was tied with Smile, but 
Uh, then you just you look at the fact that you know they asked him to to play the star position. Uh, we've talked about how that's the you know maybe the most difficult position uh, on defense. They asked him to do everything, and they did ask Tyke Smith to do everything. And he, and I mean he went out there and did it. Uh, just the fact that he led the team uh, with eight and a half tackles for loss, and then led the team with four interceptions. I mean that kind of just shows you that why they tried to get him through the transfer portal, uh, why he was an All-American, uh, you know, at West Virginia. And he, he's a playmaker when healthy. And just credit for him for sticking with it, uh, you know, coming back from injury, not having a starting role when he came back from injury. And then, you know, this year kind of showing uh, exactly why uh, Georgia wanted him in the first place. And so he was, he was a big-time playmaker, and it seems like he made plays when they needed him most. Strong case there for Taiki. I actually chose someone else in the secondary. I went with Kamari Lassiter, and I'm not looking at his stats as we record this, but just a very lockdown corner, a guy that I thought a lot of, you know, the defense's hopes coming into the year sort of rested on. You needed him to take that next step as the proven corner uh, while you had that battle at the other corner spot, and you had some up and downs at that other corner spot. You could rely on Kamari to get the job done very good in coverage, but I continue to be impressed with how physical he is as a tackler. I thought he did a very good job. Uh, Kamari, I think he's got a chance to be one of the first corners taking off the board when we get to April. He did himself a whole lot of favors by the way he played. I think he deserves a lot of credit, and that's why I'm giving him defensive MVP honors. Uh, ben, who are you going with on the defensive side of the ball? I'm going to join you there, Jordan. I think that he'll be the highest drafted Georgia defensive player, you know, in this next upcoming draft. I think it, a lot of times with cornerbacks, when they're exceptional to the way that Kamari Lasseter was, you don't realize how much of the game they're affecting. I mean, there were so many times that, I mean, you know, people maybe pick on Dalen Everett a little bit at times throughout the year, but there's a reason for that because you don't have the option to go to the other side of the field as much as you would like. And I think that Kamari Lasser did a great job with that. I think from a leadership standpoint as well, he brought a lot of that this season. So um, yeah, I'm going to side with you there, Jordan. I'm going to give the defensive MVP to Kamari Lasseter. Definitely multiple guys that I think have a good case. And uh, that kind of stands out with, you know, how Georgia has continued to play on defense year after year. A very interesting one here, special teams MVP. I'll start this one. And I'm going to give it to Brett Thorson. You know, he did not get any kind of recognition as far as the right guy goes, uh, but did not allow a punt return through 13 games. And that is just unheard of and pretty spectacular. Did a very good job. Uh, had a great sophomore season. I'm going to give it to Brett Thorson. Ben, what do you think on special teams MVP? Well, I was, it's funny. I was going to give it to Arian Smith and whoever the other gunner was as well, because I think that Kirby credited them as much as Brett Thorson on the, uh, the note, not returning any punts, but for the, the safe sake of excitement, um, I'll go with the other special teamer. And I think I'll probably bring him up later as well, but I thought Peyton Woodring as a true freshman to have the start that he had, and then be basically perfect again, unfortunately, until the SEC championship. But I really don't think that anybody holds a 49-yard doink against 
Peyton Woodring. I think that probably people point more towards the false start penalty ahead of time that pushed it back five than the miss itself. But for him to be as sound as he was throughout the year, he had a couple of kicks, you know, in the Auburn game later in the year that maybe you wouldn't classify as like must make, you wouldn't realize how big they were, but they gave Georgia, you know, multi-score advantages that were really, really big. And so I think that Georgia should feel pretty good about having him for the years to come. And uh, yeah, I'll give him the special teams MVP and Kip. I think that leaves a big one out there for you. If you want to change it up at all. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's difficult right there. Uh, just going with, with, with Peyton. Uh, I think it was actually a 50 yarder that, yeah. that he missed. And I mean, from 45, uh, I, I like this chances. If he, if he makes that field goal, um, I think he's at like 87.5% for the season, which would make him second to Alex McPherson. But Alex only had 13 attempts. I mean, you know, he, he would basically, you know, probably be the best kicker in the SEC if, if not for a penalty. Um, so, you know, that that does make it uh, really tough. I don't know, man. I, I just love the fact that there, there were no, no punt returns this season. I just think that, you know, no one's really talked about how many times that's happened i'm not even sure you know uh how many times it's happened in the season um but even even then even with net punting brett thorson was uh you know top three in the conference uh i I think it really just goes to show once again the fact that um when he was out there uh you know you kind of knew that he was going to to help georgia not have a return and you give that credit to the Aaron Smith and the Gunners, but it's also just the, the, his punting style. And that's kind of why they went to get him. You know, we were all talking about uh rugby style punting. And then also just like, um, you know, this, we've never even seen this guy. There's no film whatsoever. Georgia went and got a guy that again, never really saw in person and he comes in and, you know, I think has a pretty solid career over the last two seasons and really helped out Georgia's special team. So, um, I'm not, uh, you know, sure who else, you know, you thought should be up for the award. So I'm kind of drawing a blank there, but, but I, I was going with Brett Thorson from, from the start. I just think that, you know, I can't go into hypotheticals. I know Kirby hates that whether or not uh, Peyton would have made that kick. I think it does kind of put a different, um, connotation on, on his season. If he makes that kick we're you know, every we're, probably having a completely different discussion and, and possibly recording this pod later later on as well so uh not not to try to open up a you know a wound that probably still hasn't healed but i i do think that brett was was my mvp just because it completely took out a phase of the game for opponents now i thought someone might say makai muse but then i remember jordan doesn't think he can field punts so uh I, I, that didn't even occur to me when i made that comment so but I, you know he had a ret- return touchdown early in the year you know i thought thought maybe that there was a one of the better plays of the season that was up for a, a later award actually i thought about that but for this one I, i'm sticking with the yeah, the guy that completely erased uh, opposing special teams i think brett thorson if you know if we've seen his his last punt at georgia i, I think it's you know, he, he's still one of the better ones Georgia's had. I would comment on the Muse, uh, you know, situation, but I've never fielded a punt off a left-footed Aussie, so, so I'm just going to leave that alone. Honorable mention, definitely Arian Smith and Dominic Lovett was the other gunner, so those guys definitely have helped out Brett Thorson quite a bit. Offensive breakthrough player. Kip, who are you feeling on this one? Where would you go with offensive breakthrough player? Um, 
for me, I got to go with uh, Kendall Milton, um, a guy that we've kind of been waiting on. It seems like that that senior season for running backs, we saw it with James Cook. You know, uh, Kenny McIntosh had a huge year. This was the we wanted to see what Kendall Milton can bring to the table if you know he was healthy the entire season. He, he played. In 12 games, so you got most of it. You got to see the healthiest Kendall Milton, you know, you've ever seen. And he had over six yards per carry and scored 12 touchdowns. And I, I think toward the end of the year, uh, you were seeing him play his best football to date. Uh, obviously, he ran into, you know, a little bit of a buzzsaw against Alabama. But kind of like Georgia, you know, teams just don't run on either of those teams. That's that's how their defenses are set up. But um, he really was the the most dependable part of this offense uh, from a playmaker standpoint the entire season. And just credit to him for, for sticking with it. I, I just think uh, a lot of people have talked about his availability, um, you know, him not living up to what some expectations may have been. Um, but you don't get to really choose whether or not, you know, you, you stay healthy or not. He was able to do it, and he showed everybody the type of talent that, it, that he brought to the table. Yeah, that was my selection as well. Kendall, you know, going even back to spring practice, he starts having the hamstring injury. Uh, hamstring issues, again, doesn't go through the last few weeks of spring practice. And, you know, we're all sitting here thinking, this, this just isn't going to happen for him. You know what I mean? It's just it's not going to happen. Then in fall camp, he starts having a hamstring issue again, and, you're sort of looking around like, okay, now they've lost Branson Robinson. What is Georgia going to do? Kendall gutted it out, played in some of those early games, was admittedly not 100%. Missed a little bit of time early in the year, and, man, he put together a great senior season. I think he deserves a ton of credit for how he played and, as Kip pointed out, for not giving up. I mean, imagine how frustrating that was for him. You know, we see fans, and I understand where they're coming from, super Frustrated, all this guy's hurt again. You know, think about what Kendall is feeling and, and how hard it is for him. But he stuck with it, and it really paid off for him with a great senior season. Uh, Benjamin, where are you going with the breakthrough player on offense? Hey, hit me with a hit me with a Benjamin there, Jordan. I felt like I was talking to my mom for a second. Um, I, I'm going to go with a guy that I think broke through this season. I think he can break through even more next season. You know, if he's on if he's on the team next year, and that's Dylan Bell. Uh, you know, he had 20, 20 plus carries, 20 plus receptions. Georgia decided that they were going to use him in a way that they really don't use anybody else on, on the team. I mean, he had a skill set that nobody else really had. There were a few games that, you know, it might be a stretch to say that he took over the games, but there were a few games where you realize this is a Dylan Bell game. Like this is a Dylan Bell moment where what he is making an impact on the game and ultimately the season in a way that, not that we didn't expect him to. I think everybody's, you know, always thought that this sort of Debo Samuel-esque potential is there for Dylan Bell. But to actually see it this season, I think was nice. And I think that, again, that also sets up for assuming that he's on the team next season. I mean, I think that they are going to get really creative with how they use him with uh, him in, in the uh, rotation even more. Kip, why are you shaking your head like that? I just I'm just thinking about uh, the transfer portal and checking my phone to make sure that this podcast didn't get immediately outdated. I know, isn't it? It sucks. Like I, I people complain about the transfer portal more than they should, but it does have me like changing the way that I talk about next year's team. I'll admit it. Yeah, you have to throw a ton of caveats and say if and and as of recording. That's my that's my least favorite is as we're talking. 
And let me be clear that just because I'm bringing up Dylan Bell and saying that is that that has nothing to do with any intel that we have on Dylan Bell or anything like that. That's just to say that we're all gun shy when it comes to this thing right now. At Benjamin Walk, if something happens by the time you listen to this, that's all I'm going to say. But yeah, Dylan Bell's a good choice too. That Tennessee game had an outstanding game, even aside from the touchdown pass he threw. Uh, very excited to see what is up next for him. Defensive breakthrough player. This is another one where I feel like you could go a few different ways. I'll start it and go with who Kip had as his defensive MVP, Tyke Smith. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, sort of along the same lines as Kendall, you were sort of like, all right, I think maybe this ship has sailed. You know, after he came to Georgia, didn't play much that first year, gets hurt. Last year, he's the backup at star behind Javon Bullard. You're like, okay, you know, he played a little bit more in 2022, but we got to see, you know, what he's able to do. If he's able to win this starting job in 2023, I mean, there was a point I really thought maybe Janelle Aguero would beat him for that star job uh, just because of Janelle's upside and what he is capable of doing. Credit to Ty Key because he not only won that job, but played really, really well. Uh, as Kip mentioned, led the team in tackles, led the team in interceptions. I was super impressed with his tackling out on the perimeter. I mean, he was the king of shoestring tackles this season, being able to stop guys where it's like, all right, if Tyke doesn't make this tackle, this is about to be probably a 15, 20-yard play. He made some big plays and was definitely a huge part of this defense this year. Uh, Ben, where are you going with defensive breakthrough player? I know this is a family show, but I'm going to go with the person that I think had the most holy shit moments per snap this season, and that's Jalen Walker. Um I think we all looked around at times saying like, how, why is Jalen Walker not on the field more? How does Jalen Walker get on the field more? Because it felt like, and again, I realized he was being utilized where his skill set is strong. He rushes the passer as well as anybody on this football team at any position from anywhere on the field. And I think that he showed that throughout the season, pretty much whenever he was on the field, it felt like he was showing that. And so I think that's why I'm going with him because he wasn't someone that had really cracked the rotation much prior to this season, but he's someone that I know that we all were looking at and saying, when he gets his opportunity from a physical athleticism standpoint, there's not many guys like him on this Georgia roster. And so when he got his chances this year, he certainly made the most of them. That included all the way up to the SEC championship game. He probably created the most havoc in that SEC championship game. And so he's someone that as you look into, you know, the 2024 season as well, you know, maybe Georgia didn't rush the passer as well on the whole as people would have liked throughout the course of this season. You've got one of the best in the country, you know, and Jalen Walker, at least in terms of what he showed this year. That's a great pick, and he's somebody that I'll be very interested. We know there's so much going on at edge, at outside linebacker for Georgia. I mean, I think they just got to move him there and let him loose because I know that they see his future at inside linebacker. But given what they got there and given what they don't at outside linebacker, just put number 11 there and let him loose. Uh, Kip, where are you going with defensive breakthrough player? I mean, it's 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 got to be Jalen Walker. I mean, the he only played what two hundred and seventeen snaps this season. And just for comparison, I think like Small Mundum was over five hundred. Uh, Nazir, Michael Williams, Zion, Javon Dumas, Johnson, even C.J. Allen, they all had over three hundred. And he led the he led the team in sacks. And I just think you, you just look at that Alabama game, and I mean, he has two sacks. He was on what 10 passing plays 
He had 12 snaps in the entire game. It's just, I mean, it, it it's kind of frustrating from, from a standpoint of, uh, you know, obviously the coaches know more than any, you know, most people discussing college football, they know something maybe we don't. Uh, they're looking at different situations, packages, tendencies. But, I mean, just on a per-snap basis, he was the, the best player on defense that Georgia had, the, obviously the most disruptive. So what's holding him back from playing more? Uh, I just think that, that he showed enough. I know that he's kind of uh, – you know, he's a tweener. He's a guy that you look at him and go, okay, you know, yeah, he's definitely an inside linebacker for Georgia. But um, if if he's able to to get to the quarterback, I mean, we, I mean, we've seen it, uh, you know, even at the NFL level with Micah Parsons. Stop looking at someone's measurables and trying to fit them in a box and start trying to figure out, okay, we don't get to the quarterback as much as we'd like to regardless of whether we brush back on stats like sacks or, you know, hurries. Jalen Walker was a havoc, uh, you know, machine. And so put him inside, put him outside. Um, he brings speed to the table regardless. Let him do what he does best and, uh, you know, deal with the cost later. Uh, I, I think, you know, the opposing quarterbacks would probably agree uh, – you know, he might not be a guy that's out there in coverage against running backs a lot, or, you know, he might not be as versatile as, uh, you know, a guy even like C.J. Allen, but he should be on the field because affecting the quarterback is a huge part of the football game, and he's able to do it better than anyone on Georgia's roster this season. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, I'm not trying to give away a, a later answer right now, uh, talking about next year but just talking about this year uh what i saw from him was very impressive and in an area that you know georgia lacked in uh, he was getting it done at a high level looking at the uh, new year's resolutions for georgia coaches i'm sure they'll have the typical stuff work out more eat better near the top needs to be let jalen walker loose because we've seen enough to know what he is very capable of accomplishing going forward Take a quick break, come back, and uh, knock out a few more awards. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Guys, let's turn our attention to freshman of the year. Uh, We were just discussing before we came back on. This can be a true freshman. This can be a redshirt freshman. I'll start this one. I'm going with a true freshman inside linebacker, C.J. Allen. This is a guy that, Kip, you wrote about it the night of the national championship game last year. He's getting talked about, and he's a guy that just had been with the team for less than a month, uh, really impressed on the scout team. Got put in some big situations this year with Jamon Dumas-Johnson getting hurt. Thought he handled himself really well. I, I think he's got a super bright future. I think he's a guy that uh, is going to join the long list of very talented and very productive inside linebackers at Georgia. Kip, where are you going with freshman of the year? Yeah, I really like – 
you know, what CJ Allen brought to the table. And I think that's a great pick. He got thrust into the mix and asked to play during, you know, Georgia's toughest part of the schedule too. Uh, it's not a situation where he was out there, you know, no offense to Sanford or making plays against them. Uh, he was thrown in there and, you know, I thought he did an admirable job and kind of showed, uh, yeah, why he, he got talked about before he actually ever uh, enrolled in classes uh, since we're allowed to do, you know, redshirt freshman, uh, I'm going to go with Ernest Green, just a guy that uh, coming off an injury uh, last season hasn't played, he hadn't played any football. And then, you know, from game one, uh, you know, starting at left tackle for Georgia. Um, that's, that's not easy to do. Um, but I, I thought that, you know, throughout the season, he was pretty solid, uh, great in space. Um allowed Carson Beck to, for the most, I mean, he rarely got touched. I mean, you, you heard post-game comments just talking about how his jersey was clean, how, you know, like after the Ole Miss game uh, with Kiffin just saying, you know, like that's the first time an Ole Miss guy had touched him. Um, I mean, that says a lot that you have a freshman out there at left tackle protecting your quarterback, and he's able to to play, you know, unpressured through most of an SEC schedule. And uh, I, I just think that you have to be really excited about the fact that, again, um, he was just a freshman. You, you get to see him come back as a returning starter. I think that's huge for Georgia as they look to, you know, replace their center uh, on the offensive line, likely replace their right tackle on the offensive line. Anytime you can have, uh, you know, a returning starter who is outstanding as a freshman, uh, the Georgia, just the last couple of years, you you look at, you know, a guy like Andrew Thomas, who did that at right tackle, um, Jamari Sawyer, all the guys that have uh, played outstanding for Georgia at left tackle. Very few of them uh, went out there in their first year of playing college football and started at left tackle. So I just think that, again, the future's bright for him. And I think he was one of the better players along that offensive line this season. There was nothing I enjoyed more, and if you read the rewatch stories, I would write of finding the clips where Ernest Green got his hands on a DB because I mean he just sent those guys flying anytime he got a chance. Ben, where are you going with freshman of the year? Well, I thought originally I was maybe going to go Peyton Wood Woodring here just because I think people don't give enough credit for a freshman kicker being as consistent as he was throughout. Obviously, once he got over the early struggles, but since I put him for special teamer of the year. The reason I asked the question about red shirt was specifically what Kip talked about, Ernest Green. I think we didn't – we almost didn't even talk about it all year long. Like the fact that this is going to be a first-time starter, red shirt freshman, thrust into the offensive line, starting at left tackle. And I think the reason for that is – everything that we heard from Georgia was how confident they were and what he was going to be bringing to this offensive line. So it didn't feel as though a red shirt freshman left tackle was going to be starting for the first time at Georgia. And so I think this is the time now to be able, be able to look back on it and say, we need to give him the credit that he deserved for being able to do that for Georgia, really not missing a beat on the offensive line year over year. I mean, they gave up a few more sacks this season than last, but I think that probably had a little bit to do with Stetson's, you know, ability to evade compared to Carson as well. You know, he wasn't perfect this season, but I think that looking forward, knowing, and again, I guess this will be his third year of eligibility now in 2024. So theoretically he'll be draft eligible after next season, but looking forward as a redshirt sophomore, like you feel good about 
you know, what the future looks like at left tackle. And, you know, there's also a lot of credit that he deserves for his dependability. He played every single game. Not every offensive lineman in Georgia's room is able to say that. He eliminated them having to do even more moving and shaking than they ended up having to do, and I think that was really huge for them this season. Next category, most complete game. Kip, what did you feel like was the most complete game the Bulldogs played this season? I hate to uh, mention one of the many games where Georgia gave up a touchdown on that, you know, that opening defensive series as being a complete game. But I guess that was just part of, you know, it was part of the team for a huge stretch of the season. That's part of kind of where this defense was. And honestly, I started to think that it was just part of Georgia's game plan to go out there and, and take the punches so they can get a good um, you know, evaluation of what the opponent brings to the table. But I, I got to go with the the win over Ole Miss. Um, it, it was kind of, you know, you finally got all your players back. It was kind of a glimpse at what this Georgia offense could be. And honestly, this season was about Georgia's offense. It was not about the defense. And, you know, you, you, you go out there, you see Kendall Milton run for a, a 127 yards and two touchdowns on only nine carries. Um, because Ole Miss wasn't able to key in on him because he saw Lab McConkie out there. He had Brock Bowers coming back after 26 days, um, which was, you know, an incredible part of this uh, season as well. Uh, you know, the guy that we all think will be a top 10 overall pick in the draft, getting hurt, coming back um, because he still knew Georgia had something to play for and he wanted to help them do that. And I just think, you know, that was the, you know, this is what this team is capable of offensively game. And it was, you know, you had that stretch. Ole Miss was ranked in the top 10. And uh, it just wasn't ever really in doubt. Uh, you know, they, they blew them out um, and ran for 300 yards. And it was just an incredible explosive performance where everyone – was now looking and and not worried about their offensive coordinator for once. He saw that, you know, uh, Mike Bo get praised, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's in the mix to, uh, to be, you know, the best uh, assistant in college football. I think this was kind of that game that put him on the map for that. Um, and, yeah, overall, uh, you know, def uh, defensively, you know, some things that you'd probably like to have back, but, that was kind of the story for Georgia's defense all season. So as far as the most complete game, I got to go with that that win over Ole Miss just because uh, that was kind of that statement game that uh, where we, we were wondering, you know, uh, about this Georgia team, how good are they? Um, and this game was never close. Lane Kiffin said that after the after the game that, you know, we're not a college football playoff team. He didn't know that Georgia would be either, but th this was that game where he thought, okay, Georgia's got a chance to, to be really, really good once again. Ben, where are you going with the most complete game for the Bulldogs? Well, simply because they made a stop on their first defensive possession of the game, I'm going to go with the Kentucky game. I think that it was the only game – well, no, I, the only SEC game maybe that Georgia didn't trail in. I might be missing one. Um, but they were in control of the entire game. I mean, they had 600 yards of offense. They gave up less than 200 yards to Kentucky. I mean, it was the biggest, in my mind, disparity in terms of – you know, how well Georgia played and how almost JV they made their opponent look. I mean, it really was a dominant performance from start to finish. They hung 50 on them. They held them to 13. 
Um, it was a big, lively night environment in Athens. So it kind of had the full picture like on the field, as well as just the buzz around it from the recruiting standpoint and just the, the fan environment. So I'm going to go with that one. Um, it, it was, in my mind, the, the most dominant performance of the season for Georgia. I went with that one as well, Ben. I pulled up just from the first quarter. These are the drives. Georgia started the game with the ball. Georgia touchdown, Kentucky punt. Georgia touchdown, Kentucky punt. Georgia touchdown, Kentucky touchdown. They finally scored. Georgia field goal, Kentucky punt. Georgia touchdown, Kentucky punt. It's 31-7 to by the end of the first quarter. Um, and, you know, as funny as it is now, a big part of what gave a lot of fans, you know, made a lot of fans excited by that game is Georgia started with points. You know, how much did we talk about this season? Oh, Georgia starts slow on offense. and Kirby Smart pushed back on that a lot of the time. Uh, but, you know, it was a situation where, you know, that was still a, a, pre- a pretty highly anticipated game. Kentucky was 5-1, uh, and one, I believe, at the time. They were definitely number 20 in the country. And it was going to be a test for Georgia in what, at the time, people thought was going to be one of their toughest games on the schedule. Now, we saw other teams like Missouri and a good Georgia Tech kind of beef up that schedule by the end of it. But Georgia just went out and straight up dominated. And to me – the two games that you can make the case are the two that we chose, Kentucky and Ole Miss. But a lot to like from how they played against the Wildcats and definitely set up for uh, a very strong stretch from the Bulldogs. All right, best play of the season for the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm going to start with you, Ben. Where are you going with the best play from Georgia this year? I'm actually going to piggyback right off of the game that I was just talking about against Kentucky. I think that that opening touchdown throw from Carson to Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint was his single best throw of the season. I think that it was a moment that, you know, these, we talk about the margin of error and the fine line sometimes in some of these games. Georgia doing that in that moment and just so convincingly pushing the ball down the field, scoring on a big explosive play, going up 7-0. We maybe didn't realize at the time that Georgia was going to have a case of the giving up first drive touchdowns, but knowing what we know now, the fact that they went up early and took an early lead and never looked back made that game a rarity. And I think that without that big shot play from Carson – to Marcus Rosemey, that probably doesn't happen. So when I think of this season, there will be a bunch of plays that I remember and look back on. That'll probably be the one in a big win that I'll remember the most as just a you know big-time, big-time play. Definitely a strike on that throw from Carson. It was a big play, and it kind of woke everybody up. And then as we had just discussed, set up a really big first quarter for Georgia. Kippa, what would you say was the best play from Georgia this year? Well, I, I remember um, being in Knoxville. Um, Tennessee had obviously taken a 7 nothing lead with that, you know, first play of the game. Um, Georgia gets a field goal on an 11-play drive. And then, you know, they forced Tennessee to go three and out. And, you know, then they um, – I think they, they ran the ball six times um, – all of a sudden you, you kind of see uh, another, you know, just another run play. Uh, you're like, okay, you know, Bobo's just going to, you know, keep running the ball into the ground. Uh, and I think uh, everyone kind of looked back because you, you kind of tell it was a toss sweep. So you're like, oh, toss sweep. But 
then Dylan Bell, you know, just cranks one, just launches a uh, throw to the Marcus Rosemi, Jack Sane in, in the right side of the end zone, 18-yard touchdown. You know, Georgia takes the lead for the first time there in a, a big road game. Immediately, everyone started thinking about Kenny McIntosh to, to A.D. Mitchell in the Orange Bowl win over Michigan. Uh, I just think that that was, you know, a huge momentum changer. And, it, you know, at that point, you're, at Tennessee's defense, you're like, you know, what can we do? Uh, this guy is, you know, running on us, uh, catching passes on us. And, you know, now he's throwing touchdowns against us. At that point, you're like, you know, we're probably in trouble here. And just the fact that it, it's – it was the Dylan Bell show for a lot this season. It just for him to to join that esteemed list of of players who have, you know, run for a touchdown, caught a touchdown, and thrown uh, thrown a touchdown pass in the same season. I mean, uh, Charlie Trippy, uh, Heinz Ward, uh, Frank Sickwich, obviously Terry Godwin as well, but Kenny McIntosh. I mean, that's those are just guys that. Almost any Georgia fan, they'll always, you know, remember those guys. And just for Dylan Bell to, to join that list uh, says a lot. I mean, that's, that's a great group of guys to, to to be with. And it was just such a huge play. Again, on the road, everyone talked about how is Georgia going to handle this environment. Um, top 20 matchup. And, yeah, that, w- that was just a, a big momentum swing in that game. And I don't think, yeah, Georgia – Tennessee never really got close a- a- after that. that. That was it for them. So uh, that was a huge mo- memorable play, and I think Dylan Bell will never forget that one as well. Guys, we've almost gone forty minutes and hardly mentioned Brock Bowers. I so know. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that right now. My my choice is one handed catch against Auburn. I tried to go back and look. I want to say it might have been on third down. It was definitely in the fourth quarter. Just reached out with one paw and, and brought in a big catch. And then the thing that will be forgotten to history is the very next play does it again. Now, it doesn't wind up counting. Uh, illegal formation wipes out the play. But it was just absurd. And that one-handed catch that did count was part of a huge fourth quarter where Georgia, you know, the game was very much still up in the air in Jordan-Hare Stadium. And uh, whoever, Mike Bobo or Carson Beck, whoever said, Hey, I'm just going to give the ball to 19 and, and let him work. And uh, I wrote about this after the fact. It reminded me uh, of, I think it might have been the first Avengers movie. Loki tells Tony Stark that uh, they have an army, and he says, we have a Hulk. And, I mean, that's what Brock Bowers did. You know, Brock Bowers was Georgia's Hulk in the fourth quarter, and, you know, it made all the difference in winning that game. So he deserves a lot of credit for that play. He made so many big plays uh, throughout his time at Georgia and uh, definitely – you know, can't can't forget that one. That'll be one we see in highlight reels going forward. There's for, no doubt. For that, for that one, uh, I would love to just hear some honorable mentions just because I feel like there's so many plays over the course of a season. Like, I'm curious to know what other ones you all were thinking of. Like, I, like Nazir Stackhouse's pick against yeah. Missouri was definitely, like, high on my list that I was going to give just because, one, the play was huge. I feel like, again, those – it, it doesn't necessarily feel that way now, obviously, with how the season ended. But in that moment, winning that game and, like, making that play was, you know, huge on so many levels. And then, obviously, the internet comedy that came along with that play, I think, gave it some credibility as well. But I'm curious to know what other honorable mentions you all might have had. I'll, I'll throw out a couple that immediately come to mind. One that I think people have probably lost sight of, Rara Thomas's catch in the second half yes. of the South Carolina game, that first drive 
Because, Ben, we were sitting up there in the press box, and, I, I mean, I think I said I don't think Georgia wins this game. It was 14-3. to three. They had not moved the ball well at all. That very first drive, Carson hits Rara Thomas for a big play and kind of gets the ball rolling. The other one that comes to mind for me, too, is from that Auburn game, Malachi Starks, a guy I don't think we've mentioned at all on this episode, interception to end the threat and essentially seal the game. Big play when Georgia had to have it against an Auburn team that was trying to strike and try to tie that game up in the final minutes. Kip, did you have any honorable mention, any other plays that come to mind? Uh, a couple big catches that I, I remember. One, uh, I think it was Ra Ra Thomas's first first touchdown uh, at home. Uh, it was in the Kentucky game. Uh, it was just one of the best catches, uh, really, of the season. Um, it was like a 13, I don't know, maybe 15-yard touchdown catch where he just tapped one foot in the end zone right before the other foot went out of bounds. And they rolled it incomplete initially, and then they reviewed it. It was called a touchdown. It was just an incredible, uh, you know, just his body control. Uh, his, you know, getting that foot in bounds was, was just really impressive. And just kind of showcased that, you know, what he – could bring to the table because he was you know trying to still picking up the playbook and kind of getting uh you know more and more involved in the offense but, but that play that was one of those okay you know this guy's for real uh ty- type uh plays that really caught my eye and then um lab mcconkey's return um i think you know you're you're playing florida you know that's the game you always just want to go out there and, and perform at your best um he had uh, missed the you know first four games of the season. He was leading the team in receiving yards. Um, you know, Bowers had gotten hurt, but that first touchdown against Florida, he caught this pa- uh, pass. It should have been what 12, 13 yard gain, but then he cut back inside and just outran the entire Florida defense on a forty-one yard touchdown. Um, it was just a reminder of what he brings to the table as well. Um, and, again, we talk about guys we hadn't really talked about in the show. Uh, I don't know if we'd really talked about Lad McConkey at this point, but, I mean, yeah, he just showed that this guy is a, a future NFL player. You know, when healthy, he's outstanding. He's one of the better receivers Georgia's ever had, and I think that play was kind of a reminder of that, uh, of what he can do when healthy. That was yeah. therapeutic. That was therapeutic. I just wanted to hear, remember some of the good times, you know, don't, don't didn't want to lose sight of them. That was uh, well-timed for sure. I'm sure everyone listening really appreciates that. All right. One word, and it cannot be a swear word, uh, to describe Georgia's 2023 season. Kip, I'll start with you. Is there one word that comes to mind when you look at how the season played out for the Bulldogs? Enlightening. I think you, you 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 learn a lot more when you lose than when you win, and I think um, you know if you're Kirby Smart, you, you had thoughts about this roster construction. You had you know things that might affect them uh, against an elite opponent, um, and you were able to to really get it done during the regular season. Obviously, whenever you Face an opponent with a, you know, probably equal guys at the line of scrimmage, if not better. Um, you know, you, you struggled a little bit. And I think it probably allows him now to, to do the self-scouting he needs to. And now he knows where he needs to fix the holes in Georgia's roster for next season. And I think that's that's huge because 
again, you you win 29 games in a row, you you can't really tell what your issues are. You don't know uh, what you need to fix. Um, and I, it's an incredible accomplishment. It's something that, again, every Georgia fan should be proud of. Um, but I just think looking forward, now you kind of know, okay, we probably need to get better along the defensive line, and we need to make sure we have depth and, and along the offensive line as well. Because if, if, if guys get banged up, we still have to be able to play at an elite level uh, when it matters most. And I just think that's, that's where we just didn't know anything. We didn't know that about this Georgia team. Every single week, you know, Georgia would come out and either eke out a win against a team that they were much better than or blow out a team that we thought was equal to them and found out they weren't. So it was really tough to, to know where this Georgia team was, you know, when it came down to the, the, that five or six best teams in the country. And now that you know how you came up short, uh, there's no coach uh, in the country that's better, you know, fixing that and getting Georgia back where they need to be next year than Kirby Smart. Ben, what would be your one word to describe this season? Uh, it's what Kirby always worried, worried about, complacent. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, that was his worry the whole time. I don't think he ever had to be worried about that. I think sometimes you just run into a, a buzzsaw in Atlanta. It happens at times. But uh, my word would be conflicting, which I don't even know if that's proper English. But it, I, it's a weird I, – I kept saying this, and, you know, my wife's a, a Georgia grad, and so she, I've been dealing with her, you know, emotional fallout to the game. And, and she keeps saying to me how weird it feels. Like, this just feels – Weird, And I think that's how a lot of Georgia fans feel because you win 29 in a row, you go 12 and 0 three straight regular seasons, you win two national championships, you've never really suffered a loss that you knew was going to end your season since you've won national championships. So it's really the first time that a lot of Georgia fans or at least, you know, Georgia fans that weren't aware of what was happening in 1980, that they've experienced, okay, you've won a national championship yet you've lost and it's just over just like that. There was no, Hey, what can this team do to maybe work its way back into the playoff picture? It was it. You lost by three to the team that you always lose to. And that was it. And there was nothing else to it. And so it's this weird feeling where I, I think you want to look back fondly at this period of time, like this, even the loss to Alabama at the end, it was bookending the greatest run that Georgia football will probably ever have. I mean, I think that that 29 game stretches. I don't want to say that the best is behind us, but it's going to be tough to be better than 29 in a row with two national championships. And so I think we, you know, we should sit here and probably remember fondly how that is. But I think when everyone looks back at the 2023 season, they're going to look back and say, man, what could have been? And that might lead into what we talk about a little bit more in terms of like what we'll look back on. But, you know, this is a Georgia team that I think many of us were sort of planning trips to New Orleans and Houston and figuring out what, you know, these next few weeks we're going to look like, and just like that, you know, it's another new year, six bowl appearance. It's a great year, but it, again, that's why I say conflicting. Cause I think it's, you don't really know how to feel or what to take away from this season because there's so much positive to draw on. And then you also think about everything that this George, this specific Georgia team went through from the very beginning of the year, I mean, you know, all the way through the season, they've been through a lot of turmoil and heartache and, you know, struggles throughout this year. And um, so, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough year to look back on, but I think it's also a, a fond year to look back on as well. So guys, I actually have two words for mine two sort of separate options the first one tightrope 
because you had Brock Bowers famously lost and lucky before the season, and you had Amarius Mims. I mean, tightrope was kind of you know a big part of Georgia's season, and you had guys missing in part because of it. Some pretty important starters. The other one is pretty simple, close. I mean, you were super, super close to being able to go back to the playoff. And, you know, when we talked in the aftermath of that SEC title game, you know, there were specific plays that we discussed that really made the difference in Georgia winning and losing that game. You know, the false start on Jared Wilson that moves Peyton Woodring's field goal back. Um, The really bizarre call on the reverse that gets fumbled and gives Alabama short field. Georgia's defense still stopped them from scoring a touchdown, but – Alabama kicks a field goal and you wind up losing by three. So uh, I think the word is very simple and it's just close because the Bulldogs were right there. You know, we're just a few plays away from making the college football playoff once again. And it just, just didn't happen. Um, I'm going to start with Ben on this one. How will you remember Georgia's 2023 season? Ben, this was the first one that you've been back covering college football, covering recruiting, what will stick with you from this season for the Bulldogs and, and what you'll remember going forward? Well, yeah, not to get too sentimental, but I, I'll answer first. Like personally, just being back, covering Georgia, working with you guys, getting to be kind of in the trenches with Georgia recruiting. Like I will obviously remember that element of this season because, you know, anybody, everybody that knows, like I've been not doing this for four years and being back doing this is what I've always loved to do. This is what I've always wanted to do and doing it at a place that I, you know, obviously have a little bit more invested interest in than where I was previously. Um, That's been very cool. So that not to get, again, not to be too sentimental. I'll always remember this Georgia football season for that. On on the flip side of that, and we'll flip the the opposite side and Jordan, you kind of alluded to this and this is a, maybe a crummy way of remembering the season, but it's just the reality for some reason, and again, this is a guy that I made offensive MVP. This is a guy that I made breakthrough offensive player. I do not place any blame. I do not hold it, you know, whatever, anything like that. But for some reason, that play where Carson Beck and Dylan Bell fumble the exchange, the ball drops. And from that moment on, Georgia never had the ball again with a chance to tie the, the football game. To me, like that's going to be the lasting image for me because that was in, you know, where we were sitting in the press box too. That was obviously on our side of the field. You sort of watch the whole play unfold. I know how both of you all feel about the play call. We don't have to do, we don't have to hash that out. We don't have to, I don't have to bring up that the Miami Dolphins did the exact same thing on Sunday and went for 45 yards. We don't have to, I don't have to bring that up, so I won't. But it's just to say that that for whatever reason, that play, that moment, unfortunately, I felt like was sort of the dagger, even though there were some things that happened after that, that gave Georgia some hope. That moment was really the dagger in the three P and for some reason, and I wrong or right. I keep thinking about that play and running that play over and just think how many times I feel like Carson Beck and Dylan Bell would successfully, you know, handle that exchange. And it just didn't happen in that one moment. And for some reason, that moment will be the moment that lingers with me as it's never one reason why you don't three-peat. You know, nobody three-peats anyways, but it's never one reason why you don't win a championship. But that will be sort of the moment where I was like, all right, I don't think that Georgia has the chops to to figure it out from here. They've always been able to solve it when things have gone awry. And I think once that moment hit, you just sort of knew there's no fix in this one. I think it's totally fair to harp on that. And again, I give the defense a ton of credit. Alabama got the ball on the eleven and they forced a field goal, which, I mean, still kept Georgia alive. I think they deserve a ton of credit. 
for me with this one, how I'll remember this season is guys grinding it out. And it happened, you know, especially in that SEC title game. I mean, you miss Lad McConkey for so much of the year. You miss Brock Bowers, who, again, you know, Kirby Smart talked about this. He had people telling him, hey, don't come back. Just focus on the NFL. All that did was piss him off and made him want to come back even more. 26 days after surgery, he's playing against the Ole Miss Rebels. Amarius Mims coming back from that injury, which, again, you know, I really stress to people how much weight, you know, is on an ankle of an offensive lineman. I mean, it, it's really tough for him to do that. You had so many guys grinded out, so many guys who were not healthy by the end of the season who really wanted to be out there, be with their team, and help their team as much as they could. I know that it's no consolation to not win another national title, but those guys deserve a ton of credit, especially those guys who have NFL futures, because they very easily could have said, look, man, I am not going to push the issue here, or maybe I'm not even going to come back at all. But all those guys did, and I think they deserve a ton of credit for that. Kip, how will you remember this season? What will stick with you going forward? The world experienced Georgia fatigue. Um, Georgia was on a, you know, almost unprecedented winning streak. Um, almost got that thing to 30 games. And people were just wondering, you know, when Georgia would not be the most dominant program in the country. And the second that two plays didn't go Georgia's way with, you know, with an unfortunate false start uh, by Jared Wilson that affected a field goal. And then, you know, uh, the play that we, we just discussed that nine times out of 10 would probably work the one time it didn't. That's all that kept Georgia out of the playoff. But the moment that happened, uh, the rest of the country was immediately ready to not discuss Georgia in the playoff. It was a sigh of relief from the rest of the college football world. Thank goodness Georgia's not in the college football playoff. And while we watched the college football playoff committee come up with their you know narrative of the week because it changed every single week, uh, this one was about what it was like a weird combination of uh, the you know most deserving and best teams. But Alabama gets into the playoff because they're one of the four best teams. Now Kirk Herbstreit's come out and said that um, not just Alabama is better than Florida State. He says Georgia was better than Florida State, but yet they ranked Georgia behind Florida State. And again, it, it was uh, this thing where you know most of the time. Uh, this team still gets in the playoffs most years. Uh, we've watched Alabama get into the playoff the exact same way Georgia did. And I, most people would tell you that Georgia is one of the four best teams. And so I think now Georgia is really at that place where the, you know, they're trying to get to where Alabama is. But uh, whenever we're talking about Georgia missing the college football playoff, even though they're one of the four best teams and the rest of the college football world is just sighing a relief that they're not in now that's really when you know you've arrived and for everyone looking at the transfer portal now and wondering oh gosh is this it is this where you know georgia's run just goes into the into the gutter uh, you got to remember that you know alabama went through the same thing i mean <laughs> i don't remember seeing them in the playoff last year and they were they had a coach that everyone is waiting on him to retire every single second of every, every single day 
Um, so I, I think that's kind of what I'm remembering from this this season that I watched the college football uh, world just kind of sigh and go, finally, Georgia lost a game. And I just that's that's maybe that's the end of an incredible run, but it's also this this still is an incredible run. Uh, and I think that's that's what I take from this is that it's 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 still going to keep going. Uh, this is where Kirby Smart's built this program, and uh, as long as he's in Athens, I think Georgia fans have to just still be excited, even though you might not know half of your players because they came from other programs. Um, that's what we're here for, to tell you guys uh, who these guys are and why you should be excited for, for next season, but you should be excited for next season. Speaking of that, final question, guys. Who is the dog that intrigues you the most going into 2024? I'll start with you, Ben. Which Georgia player are you the most intrigued about as we go into 2024? This was the one that I'd probably put the least thought into because I thought that it was going to come to me throughout the course of this conversation, and it it hasn't quite. And quite frankly – to our at the you know at the very beginning when you said there might be things that happen in the transfer portal or things that ha- NFL draft decisions that happen between now and when we when you're actually listening to this i mean there's a really strong case to be made for i'm most intrigued by Carson Beck because i want to see what he can do to take that next step will he be at Georgia you might know by the time that you're listening to this even though i don't as i'm saying this you know there's a lot of these transfers that are really i think really intriguing especially at the wide receiver position and how much that they can you know impact the team especially at the running back position if Georgia adds a running back i mean i think that's someone that will be really really intriguing but all of that said um i think that i'm actually going to go with somebody that you all have mentioned already in terms of one of the other superlatives. And I think that I'm probably most excited to see the year one to year two growth of CJ Allen. And I know that there's there's other linebackers that are going to be in the rotation. He might not, you know, given depending on who comes back and what NFL draft decisions are made, he very likely will be in a similar spot in the rotation to where he is. But I think the amount of trust that this staff has put into him the fact that he got punched in the mouth a little bit at times late in the season, and he was really thrown into a situation. Him and Raylan Wilson both were thrown into a situation that they did not need to be in going into the SEC championship game. And, you know, Georgia was as close as it was to winning that football game. I think it's going to teach them a lot of lessons. I think that CJ Allen is going to be the future of Georgia's defense, just in terms of vocal leadership spiritual leadership and then also his athleticism on the field as well so I think that I'm really excited to see that year one to year two growth I was really he's probably the person that I would have said at the beginning of the year who are you most excited to see that you haven't really seen a whole lot of yet he probably was the person that I would have mentioned but now I think that we've gotten to see him I think that I'm really excited about what his future can look like as well Kip who are you going with for 2024 you know I'd love to also say CJ but I'm there's also the scenario where you see Small Munden and Jamon Dumas Johnson exactly. starting at inside linebacker next season. And, you know, if they're healthy, uh, CJ Allen is kind of that next guy rotating in there. Maybe he has a similar season this season. I mean, I, if he's a starter from start to finish, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that uh, he's got a chance to really be a special player. I want to see what happens 
the next season for Michael Williams, you know, the guy that was anointed, uh, all the, the preseason accolades, preseason All-American had now, you know, very promising first season, but now, uh, you didn't have, you know, first rounders next to you. You didn't have, uh, you know, Jalen Carter taking on double teams every play. It was a different experience for Michael Williams than, you know, 2022. So now, uh, how do you, you know, bounce back. Not to say he had a bad season, five tackles for a loss, three and a half sacks, but, um, you know, you didn't have the season that a lot of people maybe envisioned for him, which might not be fair to him, but at the same time, I, he would probably tell you that he didn't have the season that he wanted to have either. So what does Michael Williams do in year three on the defensive line? Georgia's trying to – that's a position where Georgia's actively looking in the transfer portal to try to, you know, beef up that defensive line. I know – Having a nose tackle in there would be huge for them. The, having other guys that can go back to taking on blockers and allowing Malcolm Williams to kind of, uh, you know, become the player he wants to be, but also just seeing what happens to him in year three. I mean, we, we saw a guy like uh, Trevon Walker, you know, didn't really do a lot his first two seasons at Georgia, but then, boom, it all came together in year three for him. He's a guy that Michael Williams has been compared to a lot. But he was asked to do a lot more than Trevon Walker uh, his first two seasons at Georgia. But similar uh, ceiling. I, I want to see what he brings to the table because when you're in those games, when you're at Alabama, when you're at Texas, you got to affect the quarterback. Uh, and I think he's got a chance to really put it all together and give Georgia. He's probably Georgia's best chance. Assuming they're not giving uh, you know, Jalen Walker 30, 30, 40 snaps a game. He get, he's Georgia's best chance of having, you know, an explosive, disruptive player on their defensive front. I have to admit that I'm a little surprised neither of you went with who I am going with as the dog I'm most intrigued about in 2024. That's tight end Oscar Delp. He is going to be stepping into humongous shoes, and he's going to have comparisons made to Brock Bowers, fair or not. You know, I thought you saw glimpses of what he could be as the top tight end, especially – uh, when Brock was out with that injury. You know, he had his ups and downs, had a tough drop. I think that might have been the Auburn game uh, on a deep shot. But I think that he's made progress in his ability to catch the ball, done a lot to improve as a blocker. Um, he, number four is going to be somebody that we all watch very closely because there's only one Brock Bowers. Uh, Oscar's done a very good job when we've talked to him, making it clear that, you know, he knows he's not Brock Bowers, but he's got a lot to bring to the table as well. Um, we're going to watch him really closely, and especially depending on what kind of weapons Georgia winds up having in the passing game, he may play a really, really big role when it comes to 2024. If I'm just going to do this, I'm just going to drop a little Christmas fun here. If Trevor Etienne transfers from Florida to Georgia, which as of talking about this has not happened, he will without a doubt be the person that I, I would, would mention here. And the reason for that being – is he the first person that would have ever in any capacity transferred from Florida to Georgia, even in, even in like old school transfer ways. Like I would assume I can't think of one at least. So I think there will be obviously a lot of narratives to go along with that. But also when you look at Georgia's running back situation going into 2024, there's not any surefire. This guy's been there, done that. We know exactly what that's going to look like. So I just think in terms of what he would fit into Georgia, um, you know, that would be a big one, but again, that's just if, that's just throwing out a hypothetical. We love to deal in hypotheticals, unlike Georgia head coach Kirby Smart. Exactly. 
Guys, let's wrap up this episode. I want to make sure and tell both of you, thanks so much for all y'all's efforts during this football season. It's a very busy year, um, but I'm very proud of the work that all three of us have done at Dogs 24-7. Hope that everybody's listening, uh, agrees, and uh, follows our work because it's going to continue into the new year. A lot going on, especially as we inch closer to the December 30th Orange Bowl, Georgia versus Florida State. Make sure to go to dogs247.com if you haven't already. Go subscribe. Uh, make sure that you don't miss any of the content that's coming into the new year because there's still plenty to talk about about these Bulldogs. Also, go to YouTube, Dogs247, Kirby Smart press conferences, player interviews, Mike White press conferences, Georgia men's basketball interviews, and these podcast episodes. So, for Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolk. I am Jordan Hill. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. And until next time, take care.